everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This episode is 500 comics in 150 episodes or something like that. Um, we are wow. going today reach our 500th Silver Age superhero comic on episode 150 of Make Ours Marvel. And I thought that was a, a little bit of serendipity of round numbers. It is very cool. We've we actually have, covered 513, but those are not Silver Age comics. Those other right, those, those, those other rascals that we let into the pen. Yeah, but yeah, 500. That's cool. It's it, it's great, and it's it's going to be the end of the month. It's going to be the end of the episode. Our 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 issues for this episode are Amazing Spider-Man 49, the X-Men 32, Tales to Astonish 92, and Daredevil 28. And that Daredevil 28 has a little 500 next to it on my on my notes. I was going to say, is it somewhere on the cover? Because how crazy is that? Nope. Okay. <laughs> it's like they knew we were coming. Okay. No, I'm sure they did not. <laughs> they did not. We were not a glint in anybody's eye in nope. 1967. But all right. So we just kick it off with Amazing Spider-Man number 49. Well, before we get into Amazing Spider-Man, I kind of want to talk a little bit about, because um, as I've said on the show before, there are several shows that I've been watching oh, yeah, along. Yeah in sync mm-hmm. with the um, with the podcast. And there have been some interesting, to me, uh, landmarks in the TV shows that are happening at the same time. So um, The Fugitive, uh-huh. which I have been watching all four seasons of for the last four years of comics I've been watching, which, just a little bit of background again, I saw the movie when it came out. I bought the pilot episode on film from, like, uh, Suncoast Video, or something like that in the mall and was, was, you know, fascinated by it, really liked it, never knew how to get more of the series. And when I found that the entire series is available on archive.org, I started watching it and I've been watching it in sync with the show. Um, the fourth season, the fourth and final season proper has just wrapped. The two part finale is a few months away. The little break between the, um, the main season and the actual finale. So uh, that's been really, really fun. I I now have all of the fugitive under my belt, except for actually taking down that one armed man. Oh boy. Um, Speed racer. Have you, have you watched the movie since watching the TV show? No, I am going to rewatch the movie though. Um, I'd be very interesting to find out if like there's little nudge, nudge, wink, winks of characters, references or something that totally go over my head because I've never seen the TV show, you know? That would be cool. There are very few repeat characters in the show. True, probably. Um, but there are a handful that have sh- that showed up a couple of times, family members and such that he visited more than once. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I there's this John Mulaney. I don't know if you've heard of John Mulaney. He is a uh, stand up comic and he has yes, a few specials on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So his um, comeback kid uh, routine ends with a story about meeting Bill Clinton. In the hotel where Dr. Richard Kimball confronts the guy at the end of The Fugitive saying, you switched the samples. Uh-huh. And uh, he tells this story and he's staring right at the camera almost with a, I mean, for his, you know, very smooth infant face. He looks, he does a very good Harrison Ford impression. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty great. So I, I feel like I've seen that clip a few times because I've yeah. seen John Mulaney perform it a couple times. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Speed Racer anime started up this oh, month. Wow. Uh, Speed Racer is something that I started reading because Jay of Jay and Miles Explained the X-Men uh, said, you know, it's one of his favorite things is Speed Racer. And I'm sure he's probably talking about the movie 
from 2008 or whatever. But of course, being who I am, whenever he said to check out Speed Racer, I, of course, went to the early issues of the manga, which is mm. also available at archive.org. Um, mm. And I've been reading through the manga, and I finally got to where the anime started, which was April of 1967, which is where we are. So that's been fun. Um, what else? When someone tells John, like, 80s Captain Cosmo is the greatest comics of all time, he has to start with, okay, 1935 Captain Cosmo it is. That literally happened with Green Lantern, though, right? I told you that story. <laughs> I know. That is exactly what happened. <laughs> Someone said, you're checking out DC Comics? You should read Green Lantern because the stuff they're doing with the emotional spectrum is really cool. And I'm like, great. Download All-American Comics 16, 1940. <laughs> <laughs> Little ways to go before you get to those other spectrums. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and I've been actually, I've been doing kind of a concentrated Silver Age Green Lantern read through because I've been reading through the Silver Age Flash and listening to Tom versus the Flash. Um, so I've been just reading Green Lantern with it because they team up and cross over frequently. Those um, covers are so cool. Yeah, they're really, really fun covers. The Green Lantern stories are kind of whack sometimes. The Flash stories are also yeah. kind of whack sometimes, yeah. but not as whack and not as often. But it's, it's still fun comics. Uh, speaking of Japanese stuff, though, Ultraman, the original Ultraman series just wrapped up. So I've seen all 39 episodes of dude in a rubber suit that's supposed to be metal giant uh -huh. fighting giant monsters. That's been uh -huh. fun. And there was one other thing I was going to mention. Oh, yeah. Dark Shadows. Uh -huh. um, Dark Shadows started in July. But those who know the story of Dark Shadows know that it's best known for a vampire character who doesn't show up until several months into the series run. And he just showed up in April oh. of 1967. So okay. uh, what most people think of as the real Dark Shadows series just started around this time. The ratings have been saved. Yes. That is also all online. If you have, um, you know, if you go to IMDb TV, they have a free TV service with ads and you can watch that series you can also watch the pre-Barnabas episodes on Amazon Video. So it's all out there. It's all it's all available to watch if you have the right services. So yeah, um, fun stuff. Yeah. I've been enjoying my TVs. I also finished the first season of Mission Impossible today. Watched the last episode of that. That's fun. I think you have more hours in the day than the rest of us somehow, but I don't know. <laughs> it's possible I'm just lazy. That's also a thing. It's really easy to put on TV while you're doing other stuff. Yeah, but then you're. are you really watching it? I don't know. Maybe I, mean, I can't I focus. I, I, I don't always succeed in focusing, but usually I succeed in splitting my, my attention pretty well. But it's hard to split your attention while you're podcasting, and Amazing Spider-Man 49 is looking at us. <gasps> Amazing Spider-Man 49, you name it, this one's got it. Except for Ultraman, Speed Racer, Dr. Richard Kimball, and Barnabas Collins. Hey, good uh, memory. From the depths of defeat. I feel like I missed one, but that's okay. But that was all for me. Uh, they say that a dying man sees his whole life flash before him when the end is near. So it is with the fallen Spider-Man who, daring to battle the deadly, uh, in parenthesis, new vulture while stricken with a virus attack, has been downed and left for dead. Also reintroducing Craven the Hunter, a Stan Lee and John Romita action epic lettered by Sam Rosen. So yeah, he's on top of that building and it's snowing and he's got a cold... And there's floaty heads of uh, very classic Ramita floaty head thing of of Craven and Vulture and Gwen and Harry and J. Jonah Jameson and uh, MJ and Aunt May. Like basically everybody. The only thing missing is Uncle Ben because he never talks about Uncle Ben. Dang that Tom Holland. Okay. Right. So right. 
So, yeah, he's going to die, but then, like, he just doesn't. He gets up, and he's like, okay, steady, Spider-Man. And he's kind of wobbling. He's got those, like, star things floating around his head, so you know it's serious. And instead of swinging down, he, like, carefully takes a ladder down to the street. Um, and he slowly just makes his way home, sneaks into the window of his apartment, slips into bed just as Harry opens the door. And he's like, there you are. Everybody's been looking for you. He's like, oh, yeah, I don't feel so good. Yeah, you don't look very good, buddy. Uh, meanwhile, we cut to Craven, who's watching TV. And everybody's like, the vulture has wings. Therefore, he is the greatest, most deadly enemy of all time. And Craven's like, no, I'm a better enemy. I can fight animals and stuff and he goes downstairs and he has a pet tiger and he pushes him around until he wins and that's kind of mean right um then we cut to uh oh no then he goes after the vulture while he's doing that ant-man and Anna watson swing by the place again they did that last issue uh and couldn't find peter but ant-man knows that peter's sick because she has some sort of mole at his school that calls her when he goes home sick early i guess we'll never figure that one out um, and yeah, now this time they catch him and he's in bed and he's still got the star things. And they're like, oh my God, you have a fever. You stay right there, young, weak, strapling man. I'm going to go call the doctor. So Parker is actually thinking to himself, you know, now that I've been resting for a little bit, I feel better. But shoot, I've got to stay here because they're calling the freaking doctor and they're all outside my bedroom door and they know I'm in here. Uh, while this is all happening, the vulture is robbing a helicopter. I guess those, I don't know. Is it a helicopter? It's got two helicopter blade things. Whatever. Kind of a helicopter. I think and it's a helicopter. Somehow he knows there's a guy in there with diamonds and he steals the diamonds. Um, J. Jonah Jameson wants a picture. He calls Parker, but no one lets him talk to him. Um, this is kind of crazy. Gwen and MJ show up at the same time, seemingly together. And they want to see Parker, but Harry's like, no, no, he's way sick. And so they're all, let's all go hang out and go shopping together like friends. So they all do that. Um, Craven finally finds the vulture. He tags him with a, or, you know, grabs his ankle with a whip thing or something. And they start fighting. Um, they get in a big old fight and so big that people notice and it ends up on the radio and Parker's listening. And he's like, oh my God, I can't, I can't just sit here doing nothing. Anyway, this doctor hasn't shown up yet, and they're all outside leaving me alone thinking I'm napping, so I'm going to sneak out the window again as Spider-Man because I feel better anyway. So he finds them. They're in like – are they in an atrium? Is that too on the nose? They're – I don't know where they are. They crash through the skylight of somewhere, and so he webs that up so they can't escape. And then he it comes in. Is, yeah, like, like an indoor jungle type thing, yeah. It looks like it, right? Okay. And then uh, basically he attacks them both. Um, so then they're like, okay, well, let's put a, let's put a, a stop to us fighting each other and let's fight Spider-Man. But that doesn't really work either. And he wins despite Craven's laser nipples. Uh, oh, actually the Craven, Craven laser nipples are Vulture's undoing because he tries to shoot Spider-Man and Spider-Man jumps out of the way and he hits the Vulture and said, and then, I don't know, he like, uh, oh, he punches, Spider-Man punches Craven so hard that he actually pauses for a moment and then falls over. So that was kind of cool. Webs him up, makes it back to his bed before the doctor shows up. The doctor's like, yeah, he's fine, May. You're crazy. And she's like, oh, great. I just wanted to hear that. And then they have like this little kitty session about Pussy Willow versus Pussycat again. And then that's <laughs> it. Next, Spider-Man no more. Uh-oh. Yeah, never again. Last issue of Spider-Man next time. Yeah. 
That's true, because it's number 50. Oh, my gosh. We're up to that issue? Yeah, that one. Jeez. That right? seems like that's way far. Anyway. We will. That's, we we have covered a respectable amount of distance at this point. Yeah. 49 I, issues of Amazing Spider-Man. One thing about going back and listening to those epic um, uh, podcasts, the epic episodes we've been doing, epic collections, as we're asking for, um, mm-hmm. is hearing my and your doubts about how far we would get mm-hmm. in the episode. And I'm like, yeah. wow, we've passed some of the things we've, that we were talking about. we passed our doubts. Yep. So <laughs> That's pretty cool. I'm just fully convinced that this podcast is going to go until 1985, because that's probably when we're going to die. Yeah. I mean, at some point we will die. So there is that. Yeah. So that's the goal, kids. When Michael calls me and says, hey. I'm dying. I'm going <laughs> to have a heart attack at 730. I won't be able to make it. Uh, I, I think we should die on the show. I think that'd be Oh, that might be a little traumatic for our younger listeners. I mean, if I can call in and tell you I'm dying, we might as well record it. <laughs> that's true you call me up no 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 answer on skype do the recording yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right so so when did gwen and mj start hanging out see i actually was like okay did they just both arrive separately together on accident oh like they- um oh like an amazing spider-man 25 whenever um betty and liz arrived accidentally on time together Mm-hmm. Exactly. But it doesn't really say that. No, but I can imagine the whole they would they would have the same cat eyes at each other. Maybe not quite as ferociously as Ditko would draw it, but still. They don't say that they were like out together shopping or anything either. They just say, We're here and aren't you guys impressed? And they're like, Yeah, we are. But uh, um Gwen acts like they, they're together. Uh, something 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 Gwen and MJ. Yeah, and they leave together mm-hmm. to go hang out and do things. So I think that's kind of cool. I liked that scene. They've bonded like, over their mutual attraction to the biggest nerd in comics. Like, even though they've been a little catty towards each other lately, that doesn't mean they can't get over that to some extent and, like, hang out and be civil to each other. What do you think of Gwen's look? She's pretty much classic. She's getting real close now, yeah. It's hard to it, – it, it, it's a touch or two different, but it's hard to F what is actually different about it. I think it's down to the eyes. Like, everything else is pretty classic. But he's still drawing her with, like, MJ eyes. Mm-hmm. Which are not quite the same as he'll draw later, but yeah, it's pretty close. Which is weird because you know Emma Stone played Gwen Stacy, and mm-hmm. I could have pictured Emma Stone as a perfect Mary Jane as well. Like she would yeah. have done either one. So the fact that the difference is their eyebrows, but yet they're the same actress in my mind. <laughs> yeah, Gwen's taller than MJ. Does that matter? Not really. I just noticed. Or is her or her boots just taller with heels? Or her boots are taller. Um. So new Vulture and Craven. Mm-hmm. Both going mm-hmm. after Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. What you think this was a, This was a very uh, minimal issue for Spider-Man. Not okay, a lot of uh, backstory stuff. Right. It's funny you say that because we get to page 13, which is where the proper fight scene starts. Mm-hmm. And Keenan says, okay, nothing has happened. <laughs> well, yeah, kind of. I mean, things have happened, but it's not as convoluted as it used to be. No, no. It's, you know, the pieces are moving around on the board. Spider-Man yeah. went home, laid in bed, friends came over, couldn't see him. Villains are running around being villains. But it's just kind feel, of, you know, a, a someone stirring the soup until until page 13. I feel like with, with Ditko, he crammed as much. Like, it was sometimes exhausting summarizing the Spider-Man comic, you know? Mm-hmm, like, there was mm-hmm. just so much. And you couldn't skim over any of it because 
it pertained to the next issue or the next series of events or whatever. And now it's just kind of like a lot more streamlined. And I guess that's probably just the Ramita influence there. But uh, yeah, not much really happened that that we learned. I assume next issue when he quits, that'll be a big deal. But I one thing about Ramita is that he draws Gwen and MJ wearing clothes that people actually wear. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen that top that Gwen is wearing. Mm-hmm. I've seen women in that top. Um, and MJ's, you know, yellow pantsuit. You you could literally picture a woman walking down the street in that. Right. It's pretty great. And even Peter is like not wearing the blue suit anymore. Every right. Issue. He has actual clothes now. He has actual clothes. Everybody has clothes. And that's probably like comes from like maybe the romance influence on his style. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, romance and fashion probably all went together. And I think if you're, especially you with the romance have, comic, if you're aiming your your um, stories at girls, yeah. you want to contain stuff that girls pay attention to. And girls tend to, not, not blanket statement, but girls tend to key in on stuff like what people are wearing more than guys right. do. You wouldn't want your protagonist female to have the same outfit on every day or every issue, you know? Right, right. Jan would definitely frown on you, Jan Van Dyne. Yes, yes. Went through this entire comic waiting for nipple lasers, and Craven did not disappoint. No, we got them, yeah. Yeah, just just two panels of them, but they're there. And then Pet Spider breaks them so they'll never be seen again. I kind of like that it started out with them fighting each other, and then he kind of breaks it up. Mm-hmm. Although, really, he could have just held back and waited for one of them to beat the other one up first. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, this is not the first instance of Pussy Willow, but I feel like no. we've forgotten to mention it before. But you remember whenever Aunt May would, like, you know, slam on Peter for using that, that dreadful slang? Uh-huh. And now she's trying to use it and uh-huh. she's mangling it? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I, I think it's funny. I like their relationship. I think there should be an issue where they just hang out the whole entire time. Peter That'd and uh, Aunt May? Yeah. Yeah. We always, we always just see, like, the only interaction they have is, like, Peter on his way in or out, basically. Mm-hmm. Watch them watch the movie. I like that one issue where he took her to the train station. Of course, the entire time she was freaking out, so it wasn't endearing, per se, but it was kind of fun that they had so many pages together. Mm-hmm. Um, so Spider-Man, this is like the second time he's had a cold this is real minutia stuff here but i was just thinking like most of the time when a superhero has powers they always have like these statements like they're immune to colds or tired or aids or whatever you know like they're just somehow magically immune to everything because they're spider powers the 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 time he was unmasked was because he had a bad cold yeah so this is the second time i guess he just gets colds but i swear i've read an issue where he said something about healing fast but maybe I'm making that up in my head. I don't know. Maybe he fends off the viruses quickly, but they do have to go through his system. Yeah, he, he gets does over get over them it. relatively quickly, but he also gets hit hard by them. Yeah. I kind of like that. Like, just because you have the proportional strength and speed of a spider doesn't mean you don't get human colds once in a while. Mm-hmm. When, uh, when COVID came out, people were talking about, you know, Superman wouldn't get COVID because, you know, so we're talking because we're nerds. And they're like, okay, well, Superman probably wouldn't get the disease, but... The organisms could enter his body and live there, and he could spread it around. He could be a carrier. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Peter would. Peter may fight it off easily, but he would also get it. And that's all that I can kind of relate to that because I don't actually get sick that often. Mm-hmm. But when I do, it tends to hit me pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get congestion. I'll get the kinds of, you know, physical frailties that we just live with and go about our day. But as far as getting sick, it just doesn't happen that much unless it really, really happens. 
<laughs> there is an issue of Hulk where like he fights some dude who's on roller skates with blades or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rick at the time had a friend who had AIDS. Mm-hmm. So of course in the issue, this guy with the blades like cuts his friend's hands, right? So he's bleeding. Mm. And Rick, Rick's dilemma is, do I touch him? You know, mm. and then in the issue, Hulk is like, "Stand back, I'll pick him up because I'm immune to that anyway." This is when he could talk. And I remember someone wrote a letter in the one, of the, you know, future issue, like that was just so like dismissive and too easy. And why is it the Hulk has to just be automatically immune from AIDS or whatever? You know, it's like yeah, that is kind of true. Like, why is it just a given that all these augmented people are immune from everything? That's a good point. But I don't know. And yet you want to be able to address the issue in the context of your superhero comic troops. True, yeah. And find a way to do that. And that'd be kind of weird if he's immune from everything but AIDS. (laughs) It's like AIDS got through. Okay. This is a thing in early image. There are at least two major heroes who are HIV positive, Mm -hmm. uh, Shadowhawk and Chapel. And Mm. there's at least one or two other stories that deal with HIV from a comic book metaphor perspective. Uh Um, but, But yeah. It's it's one of those things, one of those but things. the X Men are not yeah. HIV positive. Well, they're they're kind of a metaphor for lots of things, though. Probably they do too. have a gene, but that's not the same thing as a whatever. <laughs> nope, that's not the same. But the X Men thirty two is next up. <laughs> if, if you're ready to move on from Spider Man, yes, beware the juggernaut, my son. Would you believe Wondrous Werner couldn't decide whether to start off this ish with a symbolic shot of our of our vituperous villain or a look-see at our merry-making mutants? So he tried for both. Well, then, would you believe that we're just plain sneaky? And now that the Pulsatin pyrotechnics begin. Pyrotechnics. Is there any fire in this at all? I don't even know. Mm. Um, we're at the Coffee Agogo where everyone is at a birthday party for uh, Bobby. Special agonizing apologia. We had to do it. Our mind snap and saga was just too earth shaking to crowd into 20 pages. So we had to make it a two parter. Forgive us, faithful one. But before we forget, it's share the blame time again. Stan Lee proudly presents and even edits a Roy Thomas Werner Roth cat. Hold on. The print cut small. Cataphonically cataclysmic co-production. Inked by John Tartaglioni, lettered by Artie Simic, and catered by Honest Irv. Little Bobby Drake is 18 years old. And uh, his girlfriend Zelda, and her girlfriend Vera, and her girlfriend Han- boyfriend Hank, and uh, Scott and Jean are all there to celebrate his birthday at the Coffee-A-Go-Go. Um, Bernard writes a poem for him. Uh, Warren shows up with Candy Southern. And they're dancing, and Scott and Jean are dancing, and um, Xavier is down in uh, X-Men, you know, mansion in Westchester County. He's like, okay, I'm going to go inside that mystery locked door and reveal the secret that even the X-Men don't know about. And he opens it to find skeletons. No, no skeletons in Xavier's closet, except for all the ones he does have. No, this is the Juggernaut. The Juggernaut, after they defeated him back in issue 13 or whatever, uh, Xavier has been keeping him um, in this room, chained to a chair, comatose, hoping to, like, bring him back to life and hopefully be able to, like, make him better because it feels like he's failed him because they were together whenever uh, uh, Juggernaut got his powers. And we get a little recap of all that. 
And um, yeah, so Kane Marco is there. He doesn't have his helmet on right now, but he's just cha- uh, chained to a chair. Um, back at the party, a motorcycle gang crashes in because the leader of the motorcycle gang is an incel who was rejected <laughs> by uh, Zelda uh, and can't take no for an answer. So he vroom, vroom, uh, vrooms into the coffee shop with all of his, um, what do they call themselves? It's on the back. Satan's Saints or mm. something like that. That's a name. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, they, they try to crash the party. The X-Men very sneakily crash their crashing, especially Bobby Drake, who puts a sheet of ice underneath the wheels of one of them. Uh, Hank jumps up to the uh, top of a door, grabs it with his hands and kicks one of the guys. So they do use their powers, but in either sneaky ways or in ways that seem almost normal. Mm-hmm. But it's enough that they're a little bit uncertain that they've revealed themselves. But sure enough, after things over said and done, talking with the girls, they have not revealed themselves. And Vera and Hank, um, Hank was especially worried, and he and Vera actually seem to be getting along pretty well. They're not snarking at each other. Anyways, uh, Scott and Jean are both upset because their dance and their hopefully uh, admissions of love were, were, were squandered and, and messed up. Back at Xavier Mansion, Xavier puts on a helmet. He's going to feed his mental energy to hopefully uh, soothe the savage hostility that lies in Kane's dormant brain. But things go awry, and Kane Marka, the juggernaut, wakes up, and Xavier is knocked out in a blast on the device. Uh Kane Marco reaches off into something that has not been drawn yet on the panel and grabs his helmet and puts it on. And now he's the juggernaut and he juggers right out the door. Um, Bobby and Zelda kiss goodnight. Um, Warren and Candy also say goodnight. Scott and Jean are going for a walk through the park and Scott's, you know, confessing his, his insecurities and talking to Jean and we hoping, you know, that she can understand him and believe in him and, and she just wants him to love him. And he wants to say that he loves her, but he can't quite do it. But stick a pin in that, kids, because an extended scene for that that we get later, we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, there's an alarm. Angel flies home. He uh, he and the Beast run to the mansion. The other X-Men are there. The Cerebro is going off in a big, long alarm. And they go to Cerebro, and Cerebro is... Blaring because Cyclops, Beast, Iceman, Angel, and Marvel Girl are evil mutants that must be stopped. Um, they hear crashing down the stairs. They go down the stairs. The stairs turn into a slide. Uh, they fly down and find the Juggernaut downstairs waiting for them. So there's a big hip, hip, hurroo, hurrah as they fight the Juggernaut. And they all lose. Last one standing is Marvel Girl, but even her mental bolts are no match against the shielded mind of Kane Marco. And he uh, hits the wall and it crumbles down on top of Gene. And so he uh, he has won. So basically, now that he's beaten all of the X-Men, he leaves. Xavier appears dead. His mutants are of no interest anymore. And on his way, breaking through the wall, he breaks a water pipe. The water splashes on uh, Hank. He wakes up all of his friends. They grab Xavier out of the water. Um, They turn the slide back into stairs. Why was he even meant to do that? And they put Xavier to bed, and Juggernaut is out there on the loose. Um, Juggernaut has uh, receives a mental communication from Factor 3, inviting him 
to come be a part of their cause. And he agrees, not that he cares anything about Factor 3, but if they're powerful, he can team up with them and they can suit each other's purposes for a while until they don't anymore. So, to be continued. Oh, Xavier. What are you even doing, Why do you always gotta be like that, Charles? God! (laughs) He's been down there for who knows how long. Like, since five minutes after... Because he does mention that the police did take K-Marco. He did Mm -hmm. get K-Marco back after he was in the prison hospital for a while. But, you know, it's been a long time since then. Probably a year of calendar time for the the characters. I had a guess that the BDSM closet monster was going to be Juggernaut, but I wasn't sure, sure. Um, but you like this, thought it might be Juggernaut? Yeah. I, okay. I was just wondering, like, who could be behind that that would matter, and that was mm-hmm. the only thing I could come up with, really, or why Xavier would care. Um, but still, like, why does he have to do it that way? Like, why can't he say, hey, students, my brother and I have always had a rocky relationship, but he's still my brother, and I love him, and I want to try and help him, and get this curse thing off him. So I'm taking him down to the basement and we're all going to like monitor and try and help him. Like, why can't he do that? Why has he got to make it all secret? And then they have no idea juggernauts even in their freaking mansion when they come in one day and he's been, he's escaped and they mm-hmm. all get destroyed. Boy. This is at least the second locked door secret that he's had. Right. Yeah. And also that, all that his origin where he, he just went traveling that one time to go look for Satan or whatever. Right. He never, he never explained that. He just loves his secrets, but they never work out for him. So you'd think at some point he'd be like, oh. And because there's no way the X-Men would say, no, you can't do that. They'd help him. Well, there's you at least one more big secret during this classic run that I'm aware of. And so I was thinking that this oh. would tie into that. So I was totally not expecting Juggernaut. Whenever they revealed that, I was like, oh. Oh, and what are the chains going to do, by the way? Like, (laughs) the only reason he's not out of that chair is because he's not awake. So the chains do nothing. It's just ridiculous. But it's like, do you put the unconscious monster and just leave him there? Or do you wrap the unconscious monster in chains because it makes you feel better? That maybe they'll help. (laughs) Or (laughs) find something better. Why do you leave the unconscious monster completely unfettered? It's like... Because yeah. nothing I put on it would do anything. What am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Call Stark Industries and ask him if they have something that could, you know, restrain him if he wakes up or something. Not that um, they do. Bobby's turning 18. Yeah. that's He he, he really is the youngest then because I feel like they all graduated high school or whatever yeah. they did. Around issue seven or eight, right? They finished their prep school program even though Gene had only been there for a year. Does that mean he's like a genius or does that just mean like he suffered more? Um, like he graduated at the same time as all these other 18 year olds. Yeah. We talked about the time, the whole graduation thing and them all doing it at the same time, regardless of their age or how long they've been there. It seemed really, really whack. Yeah. Uh, but the comic has been going for not quite four years. Mm-hmm. So he could, so if, they, if we apply calendar time to their ages, which around this time is pretty reasonable uh, to see them as aging in calendar time for a lot of the characters. Uh, then he would be 14 when it started, which seems reasonable for how he was acting then. And now he's hitting 18. I guess the others would be like 19, 20. Hank might even be 21 by now. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. But there were only however many there are, five. So maybe they just found it easier to keep them all in the same classes. Right. Somehow. You know, back in those Wild West days when everybody all, no matter how what age you were, you were all in the same class with the same teacher. 
And the teacher differentiated the material for all the different kids' ages? I guess, but I don't think they all graduated at the same time. Probably but they also <laughs> they also weren't the X-Men, so I don't know how it works. Um, they apologize in the first page for making this a continued story. Mm-hmm. There are complaints about continued stories in the letters I columns. Know. I don't remember really when those start or how strong they are, but it's definitely something people don't like. I notice they apologize a lot, not just for that, but like if the action isn't actiony enough, quick enough, mm-hmm. they like to they like to say, hold, "Please hold your breath; it's coming shortly." You know, is that just because they're worried that people are going to be bored by these stories or what? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't think or Stan they, realizes that like. All of the non-action stuff is actually what makes the story more interesting. It gets you more invested in the action when it comes. He must on some level understand that because they that's what made them popular, right? Right. And maybe the, maybe some of the apologies are, are you know, sort of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. But, you know, we, we know you actually really did enjoy all of this stuff at the Coffee a Go-Go, but uh, mm. there is superheroing to be done. Boy, that guy's just going to be a reoccurring character, huh? This Bernard. This poet deadbeat guy. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, oh, God. Deadbeat is, instead of beatnik. I love that. Well, he seems to always want to, like, free cake and stuff. Yeah. So I, oh, I that's right. He did the uh, he did the um, the poem for free cake yeah. at the party, and then he, like, didn't write the it's poem like, for a while because he's I'll, eating his I'll cake. gladly pay you Tuesday for a piece of cake today kind of guy. Right, right. Uh, I love in um, page seven, Iceman's like, oops, I slipped. And then he like ices up the floor and in my head, it is the least convincing performance ever. Like he's (laughs) distractingly insincere. I didn't mean to be down here. Where's that pencil ice? This random motorcycle game. I was gang. I was thinking like, boy, this really dates this comic. Right. But then I was like, no, it actually dates this comic as like a comic that came out in 1950, (laughs) not 67. So. This just seems like right, right out of the wild one or whatever that. What was that Marlon Brando movie called? Like they all oh, wore these yeah. hats and crap. Like that was like a fifties movie. So this is weird. There are Teen Titans comics that do stuff like this, but it made me think of the um, the gangs in the first Police Academy movie. Yeah, um, but it's, it's just so random. But yeah. I guess like they needed something to have them fight in between fighting. So there was a weird choice of phrase that being a nerd, I decided to look up on page nine. But while the mutant marvels in Mufti revel in a moment of well-deserved satisfaction. So I was like, what the heck is a marvels in Mufti? So I looked oh. it up, Natch. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. The word Mufti is not English. It's, it's Arabic and it has two meanings. The first is an Islamic scholar who can legally rule on various matters, which does not apply to this. But more germane to our scene is that it basically means plain clothes. Uh, specifically in a context where you might expect to see a uniform. So they're in their civvies, which is what he's describing in mm. unusual phrases. I'm going to try to work that into conversation sometime. Yeah. Hey, there's our security cop in Mufti today. Um, so Xavier has these two brain skull cap things. He puts one on Juggernaut and one on himself when he talks about how he's going to pull a switch which shall drain my stepbrother of the awesome power which courses through him and send it back to the nameless void between the dimensions where dwells the sinister Sidorak himself. But what does that have to do with freaking Xavier's brain? Like, it seems like he's involved somehow, but it's, this machine looks like it should swap brains or something, like have a Freaky Friday mm-hmm. effect of some kind. But I it's think like he helps he just, guide the process with his brain or uses his okay. brain power to make it happen. I guess. Um, it's just kind of weird. Hooking and it up to like, like the, the, the bands of Sidorak, though, is kind of like a dimensional portal, like the negative zone thing over in Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess Xavier is smart, huh? Something. 
He has a sanctum sanctorum. They use that phrase for him on page nine, which they have not yet used for Doctor Strange. This is like actually incredibly smart what he what he invented here in a way. It's like maybe more smart than he's ever been. So it's like it's certainly a level of science that we have not seen him before, linking yeah. science and mystical stuff. Outside his robot legs, like what has he done scientifically, you know? And his robot legs sure were permanent, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's forgotten all about them. So and this is where what are those what are those people called again? Uh uh Zelda and Vera and Candy? No, no, no. <laughs> the people that are this secret organization that had something to do oh, with Oh, Factor Banshee. 3. Factor 3, like, ekes into Juggernaut's brain at this moment, somehow. So I really don't know what Factor 3 is, so I'm just speculating. Like, obviously they have some sort of mental powers, because that's how they got Banshee to work for them, too. I tend to think of them as being very mutant-focused, so it's weird that they're bringing in the Juggernaut, but... It's been a no. long time since I've read the Factor Three arc, so it may make more sense as we go along. Yeah, but and they can't—they can't seem to possess him the way they did. Wasn't wasn't Banshee like actually possessed or something? Or like Banshee had a device on his head that was coercing him. Okay, but they can just reach out mentally on this somehow. Mm-hmm. Like they over—they overthrew uh, Xavier while he was in there, so that's pretty good. Through an the alien uh, through the device, an, an alien force entering Kane's mind adding to his own natural resistance, and then suddenly his brain explodes and he falls over. So they're the alien force. Mm-hmm. But maybe not alien-alien. Or maybe alien-alien. Who knows what he means by that? I honestly can't remember exactly how alien the aliens are. They might be alien-aliens, or they might just be unusual people. I don't remember. No, an unusual force. Okay. Um, Scott and Gene, not as far along as I had hoped, but I guess I was fooling myself and thinking they would just get right into it, right? They have to do well, this whole, okay. like whatever thing for a while. So the night is not actually over for them on this page. Years no. down the road. What's uh-huh. that? Go ahead. So later when Scott and Jean are apart and Scott is thinking about this particular night, he remembers on this walk telling Jean about his life growing up in an orphanage mm-hmm. and that he loves her. Cool. And she says she loves him back and they have their first kiss. <sighs> How many Decades before they retcon that one. Um, well, that's that revelation is going to come around issue like 150. I think it was X Men, uh, uh, Uncanny X Men 150. Okay. So not so, too bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so even though we have, and now what I'm very curious to see is how well that retcon fits into how their relationship is written in the immediate future. Because they do get together in this series, but like yeah. it can't be that much longer before we see it happen here or that kiss wouldn't work. Because last issue, they were really close to like having a love conversation, and then they got interrupted by you know Blue Iron Man. Uh, and then so I was like, okay, well, maybe they'll move forward with that, and that'll be cool. But then this issue on page two, it was, oh, he asked me to dance. That He must be becoming more forward. Or is he just taking pity on me because I don't have a date? And she's like, oh, Jean seems so pensive. I wonder if she's thinking about Ted Roberts. So I'm like reading that going, oh, God, now we're just going to have this for the next 12, 15, <laughs> 20 issues, right? They were definitely a bit overwrought. But I do like this conversation that you're talking about on page uh, 12. Mm-hmm. And even better now that I know that eventually it apparently goes further. But I do like that Scott's just like at some point like, listen, I'm sorry I'm always so like inward and withdrawn. It's just that I have a hard time opening up and trusting people. And I hope you can understand that. It's like, yay, finally, a little bit of like honesty and vulnerability mm-hmm. conversation. So I thought that was really cool. And she's kind of like, oh, I'll draw you out, big boy. 
(laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was cool, too. So. I do like them. I do like that he's opening up his shell a little bit. And I like that she's she's patient with him. She She's waited this long. She will have a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, before we go on to the other stuff, though, Candy turns down Warren's next date because she has a longstanding date. And I don't know if that's just like a random bit of writing or if that's actually something that matters. I'm honestly curious to see if that means anything. Or she's just plain hard to get. Yeah, Could be. Could be any Could kind be. of date. She's really a supervillain. And she had a date to rob... A liquor store or something. <laughs> we'll find out. I forgot to mention, but the uh, Cerebro gets smashed in this fight, never mm. to be heard from again. Mm. Cerebro's over. Um, that seems untrue. Probably is. Maybe that, maybe that version of Cerebro, hopefully. Yeah, with the uh, the, the labeled buttons and the LR. <laughs> <laughs> Just makes that anybody can operate? Yeah. Right, right. Um, why do those stairs... Why is there a switch around the corner to turn them into a slide? <laughs> Why is know. that a thing? I don't know. Is that in case like someone came down to bother Xavier? He could just like screw with them? I guess. It's their own house. And it's like this weird defense Joker defense system. Like, And, and, and Kane Arco found the switch because he switches it while they're coming down, which also reminds me that. How did Cerebro, or why was Cerebro blaring at the presence of the X-Men? Did yeah. K. Marco reprogram it? It did seems the juggernaut like reprogram Cerebro? That has to be the answer, but at the same t- that was another point I was going to have, is once again, just like Sandman, I feel like Juggernaut's talking a little too fancy mm. in this. Doing a little bit more than he should. I don't know. It's like it's like a different, like I, I think of Sandman and Juggernaut as kind of like, the way the thing speaks, maybe not to that level of, you know, street, but like they're just thugs, right? Yeah. yeah. And like in this, for both this and Sandman, I was like, hmm. When he and Still, Black Tom need- get together, Black Tom's not exactly super smart, but he's the smarter one of the group. Like just page 18, just this random, like he says, yes. Still, I need no mental powers to do this. Like, still, I need no mental power. I just don't picture the juggernaut talking like I don't know. It's too fancy. But, you know, maybe Stan's trying to brain up his uh, thug characters or something. Yeah, I don't know. But um, this probably is not a contender for best issue of the month, but it is a best. It is a contender for me for best issue of the series so far. This had a lot of really great stuff in it. Yeah, I feel like X-Men's getting better. Here we were complaining about it and talking about making fun of how it's always the worst, and then like that somehow made it try harder because the last few issues have been kind of enjoyable. We'll have to see where it goes. Should we move on to uh, Tales to Astonish? Tales to Astonish. And then we only got one more after that, and then we have to decide if this is the worst issue. Uh, <laughs> Submariner and the Incredible Hulk, Tales to Astonish number 92, It Walks Like a Man. Talks like, like a man. man. Okay, introducing it, the silent one. It walks like a man. Oh my god, that was a very literal title. I just noticed right now. Okay, all hail the cataclysmic new combo of smiling Stanley and dapper Dan Atkins. No more Gene Colan. Not on this series. Peerless purveyors of pulsating pageantry. More peas though. And how about a bombastic bravo for adorable Artie Semek? And letterer sine qua non. If you missed Avengers number 40, guest starring Submariner, shame on you. Because this actually does seem to take place literally right after that. Uh, he and Dormar are hanging out. 
and a submarine comes along and just drops radioactive waste in a barrel. Bloop. And um, yeah, Namor doesn't like that. And he's like, dude, how many times am I going to have to threaten attacking Earth or, you know, the landlubbers or whatever he calls them before they'll take me seriously and take this zone seriously? It's not like Atlantis moves. They know we're here. This is dumb. Dormara kind of like appeases him and gets him to chill a little bit. And she's like, well, let's go home and talk about it. And he's like, okay, before we go home, I'm going to pick up this big giant drum of radioactive waste and I'm going to toss it into this really deep, 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 dark cavern or cavern, 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 tunnel, whatever, pit. I don't know. So he does. And it goes to the boom. And I don't know if it awakens the creature or creates the creature because this is Marvel and radioactive waste has done other things like that before. But a creature comes out of the pit slowly um, and it's orange and scaly and looks like um, Jerry from uh, Enemy Mine. You ever seen that movie? Anyway. It's been a while. Um, so it goes lumbering around. It comes across a warning, a radar warning station where there's a bunch of Navy dudes. And they're like, oh, my God, something radioactive is coming towards us. What is it? And it lumbers into – they have like all these mines tethered around their station, I guess, as defense or something. And it this creature doesn't seem to know any better. And it punches one of them and it blows up. And that makes the creature mad. So then it attacks harder. It breaks the legs of the station. And they all start sinking and freaking out. Meanwhile, back at glorious full-on pinup Atlantis, Dorma – and Submariner talk. She convinces him, listen, I know fighting seems like the best way. War seems like the best way. But once you open that can of worms, you can't put the worms back in the can. So why don't you give it one more go at peace? And he's like, okay, you know what? Not a bad idea. Let's just get a squadron together and we're all going to go up there. So as the squadron's like forming, they swim by this it creature and he attacks them. Because apparently that's his one thing he does is he attacks everybody. So one of the survivors comes in and he's like, Namor, there's a thing attacking. And Namor's like, those dang humans, they keep attacking. So I'm going to deal with them right now. And he swims towards wherever the attack was, which, by the way, is near that submarine. Um, so Namor, see, Namor sees the submarine and he's like, there's the humans. And then he sees the it creature and he goes, and there's the robot they made, maybe? I don't know what it is, but it's obviously from them. And I'm going to fight it. Imperious Rex. So they start fist fighting, and as they fist fight, the submarine shoots missiles or torpedoes, I guess, sorry, at both of them. Continue next issue as if you didn't know that already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. New art. New art. So let's talk about Dan Atkins for a minute because this is his first uh, Marvel credit. Mm -hmm. uh, he's actually relatively new to comics. He's been doing some stuff for Warren and Tower, like the Thunder Agents and um, Creepy and Eerie. That sort of thing. Um, he is going to be with Marvel for a while. All of his runs are like stop and start. You know, hmm. he, he doesn't do very long in any one title. And there's usually like he doesn't do every issue while he's there. So, for instance, he does this three issues of Submariner. Mm -hmm. And then Bill Ever comes back for a little bit. And then hmm. Dan Atkins is going to be back for a while. He's also going to do some Doctor Strange pretty soon. He's also going to do some... Um, some Captain America, some Nick Fury, and other just random stuff. But we'll, we'll start seeing his name more and more as we go on. Sounds like a uh, the go-to guy for, like, in-between creative, uh, you know, longevity or something. Right. 
And if, if my memory is correct and Bill Everett's lack of work is because of personal problems, then maybe he is able to cut, to rise above those personal problems for a while. And so Stanley hands him the Submariner book back and Dan Atkins has to do something else. I don't know. I mean, he's okay. It's hard to, it's hard to replace Gene Colan because Gene Colan right now is the best artist we have. Yeah. On this show. Really, like, really by is. far. Leaps and I didn't and realize how artist. long his Daredevil run is. He's going to be on Daredevil forever. Yeah, he's a real daredevil guy. But uh but I think this is good. I mean, it was solid storytelling and that panel, that page of Atlantis was pretty stellar, I thought. Yes. On page 7. Even Gene Colan didn't give us that. No, he doesn't really do like vast sprawling architecture like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like a random beast from the depths story which you would think would be more of a trope in this book, but they haven't really done it very much, at least not the way they do it here. Uh-huh. Um and at first, it seemed that the radioactive waste had nothing to do with him. That just like opened up the fissure. Uh-huh. Uh, but at the end, we find out that he's now emitting radiation. So, well, see, that's why I wasn't sure. Like, are they saying that it created him or just woke him up? I think it just woke him up. I think it opened to the ground. He's like, "Why is ground open?" And he came up yeah. out of it, but it also contaminated him, which makes him more of a threat. That's that's what I got from the story. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's pretty straightforward. But I do kind of find him menacing, especially maybe because he doesn't speak mm-hmm. at all, and he just he's. He's got a very doomsday vibe, you know, those early doomsday issues where he's just coming, yes. he's coming, doomsday is coming, you know, it's like that kind of. There's a nice little bit of menace there, even though his mm-hmm. design is really just skinny thing. Skinny, scaly, orange, bald thing, yeah. But like even like page four, that top panel with the with the white eyes, that's pretty menacing looking. I don't know. I liked it. Yeah, I, I do like that. Um, and then it turns into a bit of a comedy of errors at the end with the Navy thinking that the monster is Namor and Namor thinks the monster is their person and uh-huh. it's pretty good. It'll probably only be another two. Like, lately, after that one story arc with Krang where they just went on and on and on forever, way too long for us, uh, mm-hmm. lately it's just been two-parters. And I'm pretty sure this will wrap up next issue. But You mentioned that uh, it followed up on the Avengers. I was also thinking that maybe it didn't have to. Like, like maybe they did this story and then they put him in the Avengers and, and, and in such a way that it could, like, tie into this. But that ship at the beginning doesn't have to be the same one from the Avengers. Oh, it I don't even know if it is. You're right. Yeah. Well, it says it says in the thing that like yeah this is following up on that but like if he wasn't in the Avengers this story would work exactly the same way it does yeah because it's not like Dorma was in the Avengers and he's hanging out with Dorma so mm-hmm. like time has passed um, I don't even remember what happened last issue in Submariner what did he do oh it was the guy it was the Golden Age villain yeah you're so right. so this could easily just continue from that if you haven't read Avengers right. But, but yeah, I don't have anything else he on is that. A, he is in a grumpy human mood in this, which you could say was informed from his experience with the Avengers because he was in a grumpy human mood with that too. So. Definitely. And I do like to focus on enhancing those connections rather than diminishing them. But like I was just thinking, well, the way the stories were done, yeah. it's cool that they're connected. But like you can see but, that like they were probably done separately and connected artificially. Yeah, and that caption is just wanting you to go buy Avengers 40. And I guess if I was a kid and it's like, oh, man, I need Avengers 40. And then I read it, it's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> you tricked me in my in my uh I'm scrolling really my twelve cents. I wasn't Lee sure. Lee suckered me again. <laughs> Dang you. Third time this oh, week. Oh, there's more, isn't there? There's a Hulk. Okay, the Incredible Hulk. It's called the turning point in which a great new chapter dawns in the unforgettable saga of the world's most misunderstood mythanthrope. Misanthrope. And they're not wrong. I really like this chapter. Another bombastic bulletin triumph. Only Mighty Marvel could combine the matchless talents of Smiling Stan Lee, Magnificent Marie Severin, uh, writer and illustrator, respectively. Frank 
Giacoya, inker and Artie Semek letterer, featuring one of the most startling surprises of the season. When you least expect it, you're going to gasp at the sudden appearance of a wildly sensational guest star. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they recap previous issues, but like for the first time they do it. No, maybe not the first time, but they do it with news, which I thought was kind of neat. So they have this the news, news network. Yeah, instead of like the character just flashing back, they have this news guy, and he's talking about the fight with the Hulk and the Abomination, and the whole world now just legit knows that Bruce Banner is the Hulk, and they're all like, if you see this guy, call you know twelve armies because he's wanted. <laughs> um, Betty is reading the newspaper and listening to the news, and she's just, oh, I want my Brucey back. And Glenn's there to hold her, and he thinks, do I really love this woman? All she cares about is Bruce. Meanwhile, Rick is looking for the Hulk, and he enlists the help of, ready, Teen Brigade. What? Right? And they're all clickety-clacking. There's this whole business with all these floating heads, and they're all, you know, checking stuff. Anyway, we cut to this mysterious old man. He's got a beard and sunglasses and a green trench coat and a fedora. And since the trench coat's green... You know he's a bad guy, right? Mm. And he climb and he goes to this seedy hotel, and the landlord's like, you know, scowling at him. And he goes up to his room, and he takes off the hat and the glasses. But then he also takes off the beard. And no, it's not a green trench coat because he's a bad guy. It's a green trench coat because he's Bruce Banner, and his pants are also purple. And it's like that's where he's been living. He's hiding out. The whole world's after him, and so he's living. Uh, you know, low key, the 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 back alley life. Um, and he's been working on like a gadget to cure him of the Hulk. And this seedy uh, uh, apartment has a skylight, so all of Frankenstein, he like busts it open. And his theory is something like he can pull the gamma ray energy from the sky, and maybe that same gamma energy that like made him the Hulk can unmake him the Hulk. So he exposes himself to it very unscientifically, like, um, and it hurts him and he falls over. But then when he wakes up, he's like, no, I still feel the same. It didn't do anything. Didn't cure me at all. Dang it. What am I supposed to uh, And he gets really mad. And guess what happens when he gets really mad? He turns into the Hulk. Um, the landlord's like, cut all that racket and starts banging on the door. So the Hulk punches the door and then he jumps out the window and and the landlord's like ah and there's like a girl across the way that's like oh my god i saw the hulk um the hulk like leaves the city and he's kind of like woe is mean for a while and talking about like how nobody likes him he has nowhere to go and everybody's always trying to fight him but then he looks up at the sky he's like you know that looks peaceful hulk should just live there how do I get to the stars? Hey, one of those stars is moving. So maybe if I get close enough, I could jump to it. So he tries to jump to it, but then something smacks him away. So he's like, oh, yeah? Nothing smacks Hulk away. I'll get on that star if I really want to. So he jumps again after this moving light, and something smacks him away again so hard that he falls into the ground and makes like a Hulk-shaped pit. Um, and then he gets up, and he's real mad. But the star that he's trying to jump on lands – and it's not a star. It's actually the Silver Surfer. Oh, my gosh. Hulk Inude, next issue. Which, by the way, that does not work. I'm sorry, Stan. I don't like the that Hulk, Hulk Inude. In- He's done that like multiple <laughs> times now. It's just not yeah. working for me. Hulk it's like, Inude. Okay, I, 
I, I've tried this on. I, I don't like it. Please take right. it off. It's, it's not working. It just doesn't make any sense. But yay, what a fun issue, man. Okay, so we I have read some of these before. We're not yet to the point where I've stopped reading Hulk, but we are past the point where I have any memory of what happened because it was only once a long time ago. Uh-huh. But I just, my only memory is I really liked Marie Severin when she started on yeah. this book. Yeah, yeah. So when we saw her start oh. on, Doctor, on Doctor Strange, I was a little surprised because it's like, well, where, where's her Hulk stuff? That's what I want to get to. Is this her first Hulk one? This is her first Hulk. Yeah, yeah, okay. And she she starts her own thing, and she starts a fresh arc, and she's going to be here for basically a year. <gasps> um, and yeah, it's, it's, from what I remember, good stuff. Yeah, she draws a good Hulk. And I like all the other characters, too. Mm-hmm. And this just feels like Hulk. You know, yeah. this Dr. Banner wandering around being a lonesome schmo and he turns into the Hulk because of stuff that happens to him instead mm-hmm. of the other way around where Hulk is bounding around and accidentally turns into Banner for five seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's been, he's been Banner for weeks. We're getting a lot more Banner. Even in those that Abomination story, we got more Banner. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um I think it's a little funny. We've been wanting more Banner, and he's been Banner for weeks, and we didn't see any of it. <laughs> but I guess that was a boring time period for him. Yeah, but they're telling us like now what he's doing, at least. Where before, it was like, I don't think Banner even has a life. And then there'd be an issue where he's back at the base working. It's like, how'd that happen? Mm-hmm. They're not explaining how he exists. And now we know how he exists. He's existing you know, on bologna sandwiches, um, hiding from the government. And you know, it gives you more character depth. I like it. Um. They teased the surprise guest star. I was definitely surprised to see the Silver Surfer at the end. So they finally did it the right way for John. And I don't know if that's just because it was Submariner's turn to have a cover. Probably. That's why. Oh, so they didn't spoil him on the cover? Yeah. They did not spoil him on the cover, which, yeah, I didn't see it coming either. So that was awesome. Calling him a guest star for the story is a little bit of an overhype because he's just the reveal at the end. But, yeah, it worked great. It did. Um, um, the next issue has Hulk and Silver Surfer both on the cover and knowing them, they would probably have put that on this issue had they been able to, but totally would have. So I'm glad that it was a Silver Surfer or Submariner's turn. So they didn't spoil it for me. Little tiny continuity note. Um, mm-hmm. page two, when we see Ross at the top of the page, um, he doesn't, because no one knows where the Hulk is ever since the abomination fight. Mm hmm. Well, in the Avengers, we saw Ross for five seconds, and he was looking for the Hulk. Mm -hmm. And that didn't make a whole lot of sense at the time, because looking for the Hulk has not been the story for a while. Mm -hmm. They've been been on the Hulk. They've just been trying to deal with him and wrangle him in or whatever, uh, forgive him or something. So the idea that he actually went missing after the Abomination fight, and he's been missing for weeks, makes that scene make sense. And I'm still... I've said it already, so I'm just repeating myself, but I'm still so amazed that Bruce Banner's identity is not a secret already. And now it's like not just amongst the army base, like the news and everything are reporting him. Mm-hmm. So it's nationwide. Everybody knows that Bruce Banner is the Hulk. There's no more normal life for him. He is Dr. Richard Kimbling it. He, he has to hide his own identity, not just the fact that he's the Hulk. Unless they somehow undo this down the road. I'm just I'm just surprised that it was that quick because it we didn't have to wait that many years for this to happen. Because mm-hmm. um, I think like you know that '80s cartoon, he was still he had a job and a secret, but I guess they were basing it on 
Early issues. Earlier issues or something. Which reminds me, speaking of that 80s cartoon, Glenn Talbot was the evilest of evilest, whiny, weaselly, jerky guys, right? I haven't seen so, it, but I'll believe you. So Glenn Talbot shows up in this series, and I'm just like, ah, man, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for him to be evil. And I still feel like he hasn't really been evil yet. Like, he's not a right. caricature like like Ross is, mm-hmm. for instance. No, his only negative impact in the story, I mean, yes... He is an antagonist for the Hulk in the fact that he's carrying out Ross's orders, but more so he's distracting Betty's affections from Bruce Banner and trying to make a play for her that, oh, you know. But see, he is in a way, but he I don't feel he's even really overt with that He's too much. He's not that bad about it. I know he's had he's, some he, sentences here and there, but. Right. And he's not like a bad person about it. Like he's not making, he's not being gross and evil about it as, very often. It's mostly just he really likes Betty. And he really wishes that Bruce weren't a, a situation he had to deal with. Right. But he hasn't like tried to, I guess he has tried to arrest Bruce and stuff, but that is sort of his job. But like this, it is his page, job, yeah. page three, how much longer can I stand by hopelessly in love with you while your heart belongs to a man who is half monster? Mm-hmm. Like I can kind of get behind that thought process. Yeah. So. Although also Betty's not wrong in that scene. The Hulk just wants to be left alone. If they mm-hmm. just would stop persecuting him. It wouldn't be a problem. Imagine a world where the Hulk was welcomed instead of feared. And what would he do? Yeah. And he can't help being the Hulk is her point, which is also mm-hmm. true. I know. I've said that a million times. Next time the Hulk is rampaging, if all the Avengers would just offer him a hug, I bet it would go better yeah. than what they do, which is throw Hercules at him or something. Like, just say, Hulk, we missed you, man. Here's a burger. I totally right? think it would stop. It the has sun's been- getting real low. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) it has been a solid two years since we've seen the Teen Brigade. Yeah. I mean, it's not the greatest thing ever, but I thought we'd never see him again. So it was kind of a surprise to see them. But let's think about this. You've got a bunch of teenagers. They're just hanging at home or they're going out with their friends. Mm -hmm. Are they likely to have seen the Hulk? What are they going to (laughs) do to like look for the Hulk? I think it's just the fact that they have communication with other worlds or people because they're on their ham radios or whatever those are. Those aren't ham radios. That looks pretty advanced, actually. But we and there's there's possibly our first female member of the team over on the right there. Now she so she yeah and she says she's from Europe or she's I don't know if she says she's from Europe, but she talks about how Europe they haven't heard the seen yeah the no sign of Europe. Europe. But how do they? How does she know that unless she's there, like watching the news or something? I guess I don't know. Or she likes the. BBC. Well, she says she's overseas roundup via shortwave, so she's talking to them via shortwave. Yeah, no change in the Midwest, uh, Mexico and South America, all Southern Brigades report. So I don't know. I wonder how many team brigades there are. Must be a lot. Uh, well, the whole idea of the team brigade is they were scattered all over the country. Um, mm-hmm. So it seems really unlikely that this would ever happen. But there it is. Well, we do have a we do have one more appearance from these guys soon, and then it's going to be another solid two years before the next one. Nowadays, this scene would just like all be like Twitter or something, right? I don't know. It wouldn't be radio. Yeah, this is like a this is a group chat. Yeah, it's a group chat. So they'd be all be on Zoom or something, right? Or uh, 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 Discord. There you go, Discord. I don't know. I'm dating myself really badly right now. They'd all be on Twitter. No, they wouldn't, old man. Nobody likes Twitter anymore. <laughs> Sorry. I just figured it out. I feel like 20-somethings like Twitter, but teens don't. I, I heard that Twitter's outdated and old-fashioned and stuff, but I don't know. 
if my 10 year old knows what he's talking about. I heard that about Facebook, like a oh, couple years sure. ago. Oh, for sure. And Facebook now I feel that way too. I feel that way about Facebook too. It's like, I'm done with Facebook. I'm kind of, you know, sometimes I feel, well, right now with everything that's going on in my life, it's nice to have a support, you know, group there. But like, mm-hmm. there have been times where I've wondered, am I actually getting anything positive out of this? And I only let say it on there to promote my shows, but I don't really promote through Facebook anymore. So yeah. how much do I really want to be on there? But then I don't get nearly as much of a um, friendly support on Twitter as I get on Facebook. Because Twitter is more about strangers following you, I think. That's mm-hmm. why. Yeah. Um, which in some ways is nice because then you're not learning horrible things about people you thought you knew. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I use mostly Messenger on Facebook just for people I know. I don't know why because Twitter can do the same thing. But whatever. Anyway. I was totally expecting Beardy Coat Hatman to be a villain. Yeah, right. I thought he was going to work into his room and like be, I don't know, the the evil jukebox or something. Yeah, two surprises in this story. I, I felt the same way. I had no idea that was Bruce Banner, even though he is wearing purple pants on page three. So I should have known, but I did not. <laughs> you know, green and purple is just the color of evil and the Hulk. That's weird, And right? the Hulk. Yeah, that is weird. Well, he's because he's the monster, right? He's. I guess, yeah. Um, the, the last three pages are a fantastic build and then the reveal. Mm-hmm. They are really getting the hang of this. Severin did great. Mm-hmm. And this was a genuinely fantastic Hulk chapter. And it has been so long since I've had one of those. Yeah, this was probably a really hard, this last three pages was probably hard to illustrate. She did a fantastic job of just like the Hulk chases some star-like thing and it keeps punching him back, but we don't know what it is. Like, And then she did it. That's exactly what happens. And then a pretty awesome pinup of Silver Surfer on the last page. Mm-hmm. Now, Silver was just in Fantastic Four. So this is where he went, I guess. Yeah, but it has been a little bit of time. It's, it's been two or three months. But yeah, he I guess not not really that long. So as far as comic appearances go. Poor guy. Everywhere he goes, someone's punching him. We'll just have to see how he ends up with Hulk, if they're going to fight or be friends. It'd be they cool each, if they were friends. Because they each want to be left alone. And they don't want to be attacked. And they wish people would just, you know, be nice to them. But will they realize that before they punch each other? We don't know. He doesn't say anything particularly mean other than nothing can really hurt me, is what he proclaims. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't say, and now I'm going to make you pay for that. Hey, by the way, two out of three defenders right here for the first time. Hey, hey. This is it, guys. This is where it all begins, kind of. The sort beginning of, of the not defenders. Really. I've never Wait, read I, any defenders. I have read some defenders. Have it's, you? It's, I have. It's a very Bronze Age, very seventies, uh, in, in in good ways, but also in very like that's a flavor. Mm. But oh, speaking God. of flavor, I forgot Daredevil. about the plot of this Daredevil, and now I'm I'm kind of wishing we could just end on the Hulk. But <laughs> we have <laughs> one do, more to go. Issue five hundred, y'all. Daredevil twenty eight. Mm-hmm. Which I think the first volume of Daredevil goes only to five hundred. I think five hundred is the last issue. Okay. Um, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's planet. Now look, Dad, we went to a lot of trouble to hire these guys, so be sure that you memorize their names here. God. Philosophically God. produced by Smile and Stan Lee and Genial Gene Colon, inked by Dick Ayers, lettered by Sam Rez, and okay, now that's over, let's see what's shaking up ahead. Um, Matt Murdock revealed to the mass marauder that his brother, Mike, brother in quotation marks, was Daredevil. And Karen is very annoyed at him about this. So Matt as Mike is hanging out in her office, you know, flirting with her, talking to her, juggling balls, 
and they're having a fun little conversation. But then Foggy shows up, and they're going to go on a date. So that's the thing that's happening. What? Yeah. When they leave, Mike slash Matt turns – calling him Mike just seems so silly because that's not his name, mm. you know? <laughs> right. Turns into Daredevil and goes swinging around. He swings after their carriage just to see what they're doing and spy on them because he's such a freaking creeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're in a, um, he calls it a handsome cab. It's not a handsome cab, but it is like a horse and carriage. Um, they're, you know, going through the park like you can pay to do. And Daredevil swings down and say, Hey, what's up with our two favorite people? And Karen is looking at Daredevil thinking, what? If he's actually Matt, <laughs> but he's blind, so he can't be Daredevil. But gosh, this this seems like it should. So her brain is turning the wheels, but she's just not able to land in the right spot. Because There's Matt's something blind. up with this mic thing. I'm starting to get this. Right, right. So uh, Daredevil swings off into the snowy blue yonder. Um, what else? Let's see. There's a scene of a plane. Where does he go on a plane? Oh, he flies off the car. He tells Karen that uh, Matt has not been around the last day or two because he's flown off to Carter College to give a lecture on aliens. Right. And how the law system, the legal system of the United States of America would have to take new considerations into account uh, whenever there were aliens. So Daredevil's like... I gotta gotta talk about aliens. So he gets on the plane. He flies to Carter College, which is somewhere, probably not even real. And uh, Matt Murdock is walking around on campus, and all the uh, Cavorton coeds are totally giving the eyeball up and down. They are very attracted to this handsome, super shot lawyer. Uh, so it's, he he ends up talking to a packed crowd about aliens. There's this one crackpot professor on campus, Tom Brewster, who thinks that aliens have actually landed. And nobody gives him any credit because, you know, whenever someone walks around saying, aliens, you're like, uh, no. So he comes across some aliens and he runs out of the forest saying, aliens. And they're like, no, 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 no. Calm down. Get over yourself. Police show up. What's going on? He said, aliens. Oh, that again. Oh, whatever. So after giving his lecture, Daredevil goes into the woods and turns out, guess what? Aliens. There are these green aliens on Earth for, I don't know what reason. Uh, I think they're going to like turn it into, they, they want to seep out all the minerals. And mm-hmm. Daredevil's like, we need our minerals. Like, no, we want the minerals. We're going to sell them on the mineral market. Um, so Daredevil fights the aliens. They blast him with an ice ray. Uh, the crazy professor convinces enough people to come check out the aliens. So there's this huge crowd that flies into the woods, runs into the woods. Um, Daredevil ends up on the alien ship. Or another alien ship flies in, sorry, and, and Daredevil's there. Um, to make a long story tolerable, the aliens are able to generate this beam that blinds the entire world. All, what was it, 1967? Three million people um, mm-hmm. across the world are blind. And Daredevil's like, ha, 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 I'm already blind. And just keeps on fighting them. They're like, how did you not turn blind? So um, he smashes their blinding ray, which unblinds everybody. And uh, Matt flies back home. And Karen walks away from Foggy on their date into Matt Murdock's arms. And that's how the date ends. Next issue captured by The Boss. 
So do you think like in the next Avengers issue, Cap and Hawkeye are going to be like, hey, were you buying for 10 seconds too or was it just me? I was having similar thoughts. I was like, so this affects everybody, right? Everybody. Doctor Doom, what happened? I just went blind. And Spider-Man swinging mm-hmm. along. Oh, no, I can't see. Falls and dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's probably a lot of deaths in that however long it was, everybody was blind. Suddenly. They do All- use the idea of being able to blind and unblind people that like, hey – um, you must already be blind because you can't, you know, blind of our thing. So we will help you get your sight back if you just help us conquer the world. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would not tempt Matt in the slightest because he's used to being blind. It's like only a nominal temptation. He he does not want to see. He's already said that before. Mm-hmm. Well, like, it's like would I lose my daredevilness if I were able to see? He doesn't want to lose one to gain the other. Mm-hmm. And he's been blind longer than he's not been blind at this point. So, Right. All right. So the last handful of issues, I have theorized that they are really stupid plots and Gene Colan makes them look so pretty that I enjoy reading them anyway. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with this issue, they really doubled down on that dare. It's it's like, oh, yeah. Maybe it's like, they oversold their hand a little bit. They overplayed their hand because like – as good as Gene is, I don't know that he's covering up the stupidity of this one. Like, I just was just groaning the entire time. Everything before the aliens, I enjoyed the stuff between Matt and Daredevil <sighs> and Foggy and Karen, the date and everything else. Uh, the fact that Karen is thinking about Matt being Daredevil really has me going, ooh. Yeah, I don't think she's going to figure it out. But I do like that she's starting to not trust this Mike idea, finally. Mm-hmm. Because, like, at no point has anybody suggested that the two of them be in the same room at the same time. Still. Right. Like, he got away with that one. And that was one of his worries when he made up the lie on the spot. Like, oh, how am I going to pull this off? But apparently he doesn't have to pull it off because nobody ever asks him to. Nobody ever says, hey, these guys are brothers, right? How can we never see both of them on a Tuesday? Right. I've never seen myself and my brother in the same room at the same time. (laughs) Um, Um, So you said this wasn't a handsome cab? But uh, what, the, the guy has a top hat. I mean, what, what's a handsome cab? I guess I don't know. <laughs> okay, so um, Joseph Handsome invented this cab. It's a it's a two-wheeled carriage. Oh. And it's tied okay. to the horses on the front, and it's weighed down. It's balanced with the driver sitting on the back in a little seat. Oh. And okay. it's a particular invention that's really attractive in like England and stuff because it it maneuvers curves really easily and it's 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 sleeker and, and easier to get around than a, like a full-on horse-drawn carriage. Okay. This is a full-on horse-drawn carriage. This is what yeah. I believe is called a hackney cab. Okay. But uh, hansoms were really popular in the um, uh, starting around the late 18, uh, 1800s going into the early 1900s. Don't you just want to read like a pictorial history book of carriages now or is that just me? No, that's me too. Yeah. The, uh, the closing credits of Speed Racer – Show a series uh, of vehicles driving by, and they start like like horse drawn carriages, and they get slowly more and more sleek until you got this. You got the Speed Racer Mach Five driving by, mm-hmm. um, and that's a pretty cool little yeah little thing. Yeah, um, they call Matt Murdock one of the greatest trial lawyers. Hmm. And like, didn't they just open their doors like two years ago? And has he not really done much law in these last two years? I feel like. <laughs> Or, or is this Thor time where it's been two years, but it's actually been a few days? I mean, I can't even, other than the time the owl drew him into his fake court, mm-hmm. like has Matt done any courting? 
we haven't seen it on the page. It's had to have happened between issues. Yeah. Like he's always letting Foggy do everything, seems like. And we haven't seen Foggy go into court very many times, but definitely more than Matt. Yeah. That's just really weird. Anyway. The Fantastic Four chose Matt as their lawyer. They did go to Foggy in order to represent the Rhino. So they were chosen by the government or police or someone. So yeah, they are coming up in the world. They, they always have clients for some reason, and those clients end up being bad guys or whatever. But like they never, you never actually see them like doing law. Maybe their writers just aren't sure how to work that into the story. Maybe. But it's understood to be happening but between But what do you them. think of this idea like – we we have an alien compo or you know symposium or whatever, and we let's get a lawyer to talk about what laws would be like for aliens if aliens were here. Hmm. Honestly, I think for especially for the late sixties, where like paranormal stuff was being explored, mm. um, they didn't realize what questions had no as an answer yet. Mm. They were still asking the questions and exploring them. ESP could be a thing. Let's find out. Um, so, like, especially if you're in the law, the pre-law college of your of your uh, higher education institution, um, having a discussion about okay, we got extraterrestrials being a concern. What would we need to do if there actually were aliens? It seems a little mm. bit kitschy now, but I can see in night in a world that wrote where no man has gone before as a Star True. Trek episode. I can True. see this being a serious conversation. Mm-hmm. And page eight was kind of cool where he's talking about like, we don't know what kind of morals or standards they have that could be completely different from ours. Right. So how do we deal with that if they show up here like, and their values are not the same as our values? And I feel like there's some metaphor there because mm. you've got yep. obviously various cultures in the world and we're in a cold war with half of the world. And really, if we just embrace the differences in our moralities, maybe that could be okay. But then there's an alien at the alien convention. And then it's like, oh, no. Yeah. And then there's the weird blind thing, and it's like, oh, no. The best part of the weird blind thing was the lettering trick that Rosen did on page yeah. 18. Yeah, yeah, where they like try and make it seem like it's all over the world happening to different people. Yeah, so if you don't have the issue in front of you, listeners, there are various people all over the world, and though their dialogue is written in English, but the script is made to look like other forms of script. Mm-hmm. So there's I am blind in letters that look like Arabic script or in letters that look like Japanese script. You know, it just it it it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine he took some time on that. Yeah. Um and yeah, I'm kind of sympathetic with Foggy. His date with Karen didn't really go well and she walks away from his date and into Matt's arms and that's really weird. But no, they weren't on a I thought he went to a whole different city though. So they went after him for some reason. Oh, or did I th- you know, it's probably whether they went to him or he came back. It's probably not on their actual date. I still think it's ridiculous for us to have chased him up here after Matt just because of that radio report. So there was a radio report about what aliens in Carson City, and that's where he's at, or whatever. I just made up that city. I forgot where he's at. Um, oh, even if a flying saucer was sighted, what can that have to do with him? But Foggy, Matt's blind. If there's any point zero 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 one percent chance there's a flying saucer in the same city he is, I have to protect him somehow from the flying saucer. Oh, you're right. So the date at the beginning is not temporally connected with the stuff at the end. You're right. No, they just show up so that they can turn blind along with all the rest of the world. And then they get their sight back and she hugs them. Um, yeah, they could have gone blind in New York where they were. But I yeah. guess having them on hand when it happened, it lets her go into Matt's arms at the end. That's the only reason for them to change location. Yep. They could have gone blind in his office. Yeah, 
That's just that was just really weird. So anyway, should we talk about the worst comics of the month? Okay. So <laughs> having done 500 issues, we are now at the end of April 1967. We got to talk about oh. our favorite and least favorite comics of the month. Shall I do the rundown? Uh, yes, yes. Oh, not April. March, right? March. Yes. I started reading April. We are in March 1967. You're right. Yes, yes. I, I always read a little bit ahead of the show because <gasps> I have record. You should read well, while we're recording. <laughs> I do take pains to avoid reading the next issue of a, of a book we're going to cover, but I, I do have to read ahead of the show in order to stay on top of stuff. All right. Sergeant Fury 42, three were AWOL. That was the one where um, Koenig was sad about his sister. Dino was sad about his lost girlfriend. So they go after Koenig's sister and she turns into Dino's new girlfriend. Um, and there are like three of them were AWOL and going author without permission. Oh, and McGivney led the Howlers in that one. Yes. Thor 140 with The Growing Man. Mm. Led by Kang. Mm-hmm. And the battle begins against the genie demon in the Tale of Asgard. So that's a whole thing. Tales of Suspense featuring Captain America and Iron Man 90. Um, we had Iron Man versus the new Melter. And we had Captain America as a traitor against the Red Skull until the end when he wasn't anymore. Mm-hmm. Strange Tales 157. Ah. Oh. The big battle against. Um, well, we know what John's picking. <laughs> okay, so this is not the, the. I was actually sighing over the previous chapter. Oh, the okay. previous You're chapter right. was the one that I really loved. And you uh, did This pick is not a bad one. chapter, but Strange yeah. Shows 157 has the actual um, fight with Fury and uh, Strucker that is not resolved at the end, but they do fight. And then in Doctor Strange, the end of the Ancient One, Zom uh, kills the Ancient One. And uh, the Living Tribunal shows up at the end. Okay, then we got Fantastic Four 63 with Blastar, the Living Bomb Burst, and Sandman up against the Fantastic Four. We have the Avengers 40, which had the Submariner showing up, and he basically beats all the Avengers, and Hercules beats him, and then they all beat uh, Submariner together. And Amazing Spider-Man 49, which was today's issue. Vulture and Kraven, the X-Men 32... With the Juggernaut, um, Tales to Astonish 92 with Hulk versus um, Bad Hulk chapters because he turns into a really good Hulk chapter. And also Submariner fights the uh, the Walk Like a Man guy and Daredevil versus Aliens. It's Aliens, y'all. Yep. All right. Okay. I um, think I know already. This was kind of an easy one. I think I do too. But you go first while I get the file open. All right. So Fantastic Four is my favorite. But very close to that is Avengers. I kind of waffled between the two, but I just think Fantastic Four was a tighter story because mm-hmm. Avengers had a little uh, wonkiness there in the middle with everything. But yeah, Fantastic Four was just classic. You know, the FF versus two villains, and they all split up and they all do their cool things. And at the end, Reed Richards comes up with a cool, you know, gadget to d- defeat the the bad guy that they uh, you know let escape from the negative zone. My only criticism would be that Sue didn't do a lot, and she was apologizing for being feminine or whatever. But other than that, uh-huh. it was solid, awesome, Kirby, Fantastic Four fighting. And I enjoyed it a lot. So that's my favorite. Okay, good. And my least favorite is, I'm going to say the last comic we covered because that story was just so super stupid bonkers. Like even Gene Colan couldn't save it. 
Mm. And and it bothered me. Even though Kang with a doll is kind of weird too. Even though the Red Skull with bubble power kind of annoys me also. But I just feel like Daredevil shouldn't be fighting aliens to begin with. So, yeah, it was weird. Aliens that happen to blind people? Come on, whatever. Right, right. Ugh, ugh. So, I think for sheer, wow, that was a surprisingly good read. Oh. And I really did enjoy it. Yeah. I'm going to give it to the Hulk. Yeah, the Hulk's pretty great, too. Um, Spider-Man was good. Fantastic Four was good. The next issue of Fantastic Four I've already read, and I really am excited for where that's going to go. Uh-huh. Um, but for right now, Hulk is my boy. Mm-hmm. And my least is going to be Thor. I agree. Yeah, that's a good choice, too. And honestly, X-Men was a contender for best. I said earlier it might not be a contender for best, but... X-Men was really good this month and probably on a par with Spider-Man as far as just my enjoyment of it. Um, but Hulk peeks out from top and Thor peeks out the bottom. It was in competition with Namor for me. But as, as bottom? For, for, for bottom, yeah. I did not like the Namor story. Um, and let's not forget, not only did King have a weird doll thing, but like Thor beat them by making his, his hammer move faster than light and sending him to a other dimension a la... Americanized Dragon Ball Z. So that was pretty dumb. And there were story disconnects in there. There was like, how did we get from this scene to the next scene? Like what happened <laughs> right, to Kang? Right. Yeah. It just, no, yeah. No, and no. let's, let's bring, let's bring, uh, uh, Blake to, uh, what's his name? Yeah. Don Blake. Is that his name? Don Blake. Yeah. I, yeah. Let's bring Don Blake to the crime scene when we're looking for Thor. Cause that makes mm. no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Just and I like actually that. got to have new year's Eve with Gene Hendricks and his family. Mm. Uh, and we were talking about how the Tales of Asgard series is going out on a low. Uh-huh. And so that brings the issue down <laughs> as <Yeah>. well. <laughs> so just not a lot of good happening in Thor. Um, but yeah. All right. So those are entered. The file is saved. So I don't have to re-enter them later. Okay. Great. All right. So next episode, mm-hmm. we're going to cover four more stories. Those being... Uh, Sergeant Fury, 43. So be on the watch out for, um, I don't know what's happening on that cover, The Scourge of the Sahara. Thor, 141, who is Replicas. Strange Tales, 158, with Doctor Strange versus the Living Tribunal with the Sands of Death. And Tales of Suspense, 91, with Iron Man versus the Monstrous Crusher. So be here next episode for that. And, we, oh, you know what? Before you do where you can, they can find us, I want to make an announcement. You okay. may have already known this. It was weeks ago at this point. But as I'm recording, it just happened today. Three of my old shows, which seem to have a lot of people out there who love them, mm-hmm. are once again available. Um, as I'm recording this, I'm not exactly sure how the feeds are going to come back to life. But the websites and the files are there. And you can subscribe to the feeds manually if they're not showing up in your podcatchers. But Amazing Spider-Man Classics, Golden Age Superman, and the new 52 Adventures of Superman are all once again available for listening. I'm not making new episodes. The shows aren't like back in publication, y'all. But they are once again alive and available for listening. One caveat. I was young when I did Amazing Spider-Man Classics. (laughs) And my humor in that is to a certain degree that I would be extremely reluctant to take it nowadays. 
So if you're listening to this and you go listen to that, <laughs> please do not judge me too harshly. Um, I have grown. He was just a boy. Hopefully matured a bit. Certainly, I do things differently now than I would have then. Anyways. But, anyway, um, most of that was Josh and Don anyway. Their influence was horrible. <laughs> I remember Don saying, oh, this is a strange podcast <laughs> in one of the early episodes. But uh, so they can find all of that on um, AmazingSpiderMan.Lipson.com, GoldenAgeSuperman.Lipson.com, and New52Superman.Lipson.com. And where can they find us? They can find us on MakeOursMarvel.Lipson.com. Wait, 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 wait. Never mind. There's no Lipson. Oh, you got me. You got me going there with all that Lipson talk. No, just MakeOursMarvel.com. You don't have to know how to spell Lipson or anything. It's great. Uh, there you will find all our episodes, which are playable, of course, on the website, or you could type Make Ours Marvel into your favorite podcast app, or if that doesn't work, you could follow one of our RSS links that hopefully take you to your favorite podcast app, and if that doesn't work, I don't know what to tell you, just plug in the general RSS feed. If that doesn't work, go to social media, uh, links that are on that site for Twitter and Facebook, and drop us a line, or even more better, drop us a line, more better, drop us a line, uh using the contact form on the page, or you could write directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Um, and you can find us both on Twitter. If you like to follow people on Twitter, I am on Twitter at John reads comics and Mike is on Twitter at Kaiser the great. Um, my transformers podcast return to Cybertron, where I'm talking about all the comics and cartoons from the 1980s is also on Twitter at TFUK podcast. Um, and you should definitely go follow the stuff that I do. Um, all right. So we'll be here next week for more comics. So you should be here next week with more comics as well. And until then, or until the Hulk and the Silver Surfer have to fight each other in an alien arena, make ours marvel. marvel.